Hey everyone, Eric Watson here, and this is the recorded audio of a DM-only live stream in which I prepare for our next live session and chat with fans each week at my Rogue Watson YouTube channel. Please note that these streams are full of DM spoilers. This was not originally intended for an audio-only format, but has been converted to a podcast for your convenience. The channel and by extension this podcast are supported by Patreon. If you'd like to support my work, you can do so at patreon.com slash roguewatson. Enjoy the show. Watson here, freelance writer, player of games, writer of words, recorder of videos, and at tabletop role-playing aficionado. Welcome to my weekly behind-the-scenes DM-only series, Crafting Icewind Down, which I build, write, and prepare for our next session of Rhyme of the Frost Maiden. If you are playing characters of Alravin, Frey, Celeste, Edmund, or Thimbleweed, this is not the right stream for you, but for the rest of you, welcome. Warning, there will be spoilers and scary pop-in music as the intro, which I thought about. Changing that to something else, because it might be weird not to have the video, and it's the same music as our other main show, but I figured maybe some branding would be pro. I don't know. So I, for whatever reason, I use it for crafting, and then I don't use any music for cross-eyed chat, because it's a little bit more casual. <laughs> we stream our D&D sessions live on YouTube every Friday evening. You can watch all of our D&D live series, as well as reviews and Let's Plays on my YouTube channel, and we read weekly session recaps at roguewatson.com. You can follow me on Twitter at RogueWatson. Join our official Discord server with invite link in the description below. If you'd like to support the channel, please check out patreon.com slash RogueWatson. For our campaign, we use Roll20.net for streaming. I use open broadcaster software with Streamlabs. Apologize if my uh, voice is a little scraggly and my energy level is a little low. I am feeling a little under the weather uh, just very lately. I, I think it's just a head cold, no cause for huge concern uh, at the moment, but... Uh, it is aggravating as somebody who very rarely goes out, and even when I do, I still wear my mask everywhere and all that. So it's, but my kid does go to school, so and she does wear a mask. Well, a few who does because Texas is shitty. Anyway, um, but hopefully it's just gonna be a pretty brief thing. I'm already drinking tea, which I don't drink tea until like noon, but I didn't want to drink any more coffee, so I'm using that to kind of perk myself back up. Um, my amazing wife threw a bunch of drugs at me, so I'm feeling better from those effects, and then she took over um, a lot of the baby duties. I got to sleep in today. She's just absolutely incredible uh, whenever I'm feeling even the least bit down. She goes into super, like, take care of me mode, which I love her for that. Well, let's talk about D&D this uh, today, <laughs> today, Thursday. Um, so we're in East Haven. Um, we got as far as the ferry and actually concluded the ferry section, which the session lasted about as long as I had figured. Um, I'm not going to talk too long because that's what Frostside Chat is for. Uh, it was interesting that the characters did not want to actually investigate the um, the burning of the wizard thing. Instead, they just wanted to go hard on like the political ramifications of a... Uh, a town that was becoming seduced by worshipping the uh, the Frost Maiden and going back to the old ways. And that ended up being a major sticking point for them. Instead of actually trying to figure out... Which I'd, I'd learned later in Frostside Chat that it was a failing partly on my um, end because I didn't do a good enough job of explaining who uh, Dazan was and what they knew of him and that's partly because it's just been you know months and months since we dealt, dealt we last heard his name in the uh, mountain climb quest so they had just thought this was just the random third wizard um Valen, that they had never interacted with or heard of it was like oh that's that's another wizard that's just gone so uh they just kind of sh treated that as an open and shut case which is very much technically not and it was just and it's not meant to be a big investigation thing so i ended up just giving them basically the the final clue they needed which was this method of, uh, which I borrowed this from Tomb of Annihilation, but it's a way for them to have an item that they have to do skill checks on uh, once a day to succeed. Essentially a skill challenge that takes place over the course of multiple days for one person. 
and using that they can find uh, what will eventually be the location for the lost spire of netherol and the main reason for that is because i wanted to give them that information without sending them there right away because story-wise it works better if it happens after sunblight um as part of the act two where you're actually going after the wizards um which is a tricky thing to do because i'm trying to you know tease all this main story with all the wizards and things early which we're still technically in the opening you know first act and then they can actually um follow up on all that stuff in the second act which the act break for one to two is going to be destruction's light it's going to be the dragon that's released from sunblight so i am i'm think going to give them the uh location of sunblight here in the east haven fairy well i could either do it here or i could do it hmm, something i haven't actually figured out yet i was going to give them so they're going to find a map in the east haven fairy because we, we ended it right on the uh, end of the combat encounter which this combat encounter took way longer than i figured i thought this would be a very easy combat encounter i literally just put a uh, two flying swords, which are just themed as battle axes, and then an animated armor who had some extra attacks, like some modifications to it, which probably upped its challenge rating slightly because it gave him um, like an arm cannon he could fire out, kind of, but it was the equivalent of burning hands. He could do burning hands every round and attack. Um, and But they all had decently high AC, so that then the players weren't rolling terribly well, so they ended up sticking around quite a bit. So I was a little surprised by that, but... Um, nobody took, like, a huge ton of damage either. It wasn't a huge, like, scary fight. It just took a while. Anyway, so my initial plan was to give them two maps in this room. One of them would be a map of East Haven, which uh, has a has the town hall on it circled and has the word, like, Chardolin written in Dwarvish. And uh, it's going to have a note on there doesn't necessarily make sense logically that they would write down this note, but it needs to happen to convey that information to the players. It's just kind of, at this point, it's video game design 101 where you have to, you know, leave a trail behind and and give the, and convey that information. So, of course, every other character, like, carries a fucking journal that they leave around, you know, for people to find. That's just, that's just what you got to do. Um, and the note is going to say, basically, like, Nilder's outpost has fallen. The attackers may be headed here next. We must accelerate our plans. We need we need to take care of the or take what we can of the statue, uh, and then return to my father's fortress. So essentially, it'll be for whatever reason. Is it Dirth that's here? I think um, wrote down that information as if he was saying it to the other Dwergar, and explaining the fact of what they're doing here and that they are trying to steal the statue. Which, if you recall, I mentioned the statue very very briefly, just enough to give the players to to mention it to them without even. Um, wanting to make that the focal point of the scene, which was them being led into the office to to have that big social scene with uh, Ravison and the speaker. I mentioned the fact they went through this you know lounge area and then they went past this big obsidian statue. And then they they sat down and and speak and spoke with everybody, and then that was the big scene. Well, turns out that obsidian statue is actually Shardolin and uh, the Dwergar have through their invisibility have been able to sneak in and you know they've been reconnaissance essentially all over the town and they have discovered that it's a big piece of chardolin and they were hoping to somehow get um as much of it as possible to bring to their father because obviously that zardarok is making all that well, he made the dragon out of chardolin which is pretty much done by now i think or at least close to it um and because he's gotten a message from his brother, which I'm not sure um, story-wise how that worked down. I don't have like a you know strict timeline of events or anything. It's just kind of whatever makes the story more interesting and makes decent logical sense. But the if you recall, the boss of the Dwerger outpost, I think Nildar. Um, survived, was able to escape, minus some fingers that, that Frey chopped off. And so I am building off that and saying, okay, he was able to warn this group that, you know, a bunch of people came in and, and essentially destroyed the outpost and they need to start, you know, getting their shit ready and going because essentially 10 towns is starting to fight back. Um, 
So with so it, that's kind of an interesting follow-up to the fact that because they did the Dwerger outpost and because he survived, these guys have gotten a heads up and now they are um, have already gotten into the town hall and in the middle of the heist. Now my biggest concern here is time-wise, ideally what I want the players to do, which obviously is a challenging thing for any DM is to anticipate and plan for that, is to go immediately to the town hall and take care of the Dwerger by themselves. Logically, it would make sense to try and immediately alert the authorities, try to call down the guard and get everybody involved, which is a lot less fun and interesting, I think. Um, even though it makes more sense to do that, I would rather them you know, do the hero thing and just take care of it themselves. Time-wise, I did mention that it was like think late afternoon by the time they made it out here. I was really hoping they would have to short rest, but judging by their hit points, I don't see them having to short rest here. Um, if anything, I know uh, Chris was talking about long resting after this fight. He was like, he, he had no problem like throwing out a bunch of stuff because he figured they would long rest um, after this fight. But what I would like to do to them is to force them into a situation where um, they may have to go act immediately, which is what I'm going to essentially tell them via that note is like, oh shit, the Dwerger are, are going to be doing this heist like tonight. And then now they have to look at the clock and be like, okay, what time is it? And part of the problem is, it, I, I think I mentioned it was late afternoon by the time they, I forget when I had to go back and watch the video on when I actually told that time, when they were going out to the ferry, I think, or maybe when they had arrived in East Haven. But ideally, I would like it to already be like sunset and getting to be evening by the time they've gotten this note and made it outside to where essentially their best laid plan is to, and because and the city's going to be under curfew. So I think what I would like to do is have it be where the, by the time they emerge from the ferry and come back out, it's basically night has fallen, even though that seems like a little cheaty on my end to like accelerate time that quickly. Um... But I think that would hopefully um, motivate them to just check out the town hall themselves. And with a curfew going on, there would be like nobody on the streets they could go to or anything. And the town hall would be locked up, essentially. The bummer is, logically, like the time, not, not enough time has really passed there, right? The players basically immediately went to the East Haven Ferry. They haven't rested at all. It's, you know, at best, it's been like an hour or so. It would be a little bit stretching things on my end. But I really don't see a narratively satisfying way for them to like go alert speaker ravison and be like hey or just you know go back to the town hall and be like let's fortify this area and be prepared for the dwerger to emerge you know sit the guards all the way around and you could do the angle of well they're not going to believe them but they literally i'm leaving like a note behind for them to find that would be able to corro corroborate and confirm the fact that there's going to be like a heist in this location in this um and they're going to specifically steal the statue so I think it'd be more fun for the players to get to the town hall and realize that the heist is already underway to where the Dwerger have already tunneled up into... In fact, we can switch to that map. I'm just using the basic uh, town hall map that's that came included. Um, that the Dwerger have tunneled into uh, underneath, because I figure that's the way they're going to get in. Um, you know, and they emerged, you know, they, they got some back alley or some way that was really out of the way and or or maybe somebody's, uh, you know, abandoned house or something and managed to dig under using the hammerer suit um, and managed to dig a decent enough hole um, underneath. And it pops up, you know, maybe somewhere in, in fact, I, I think I already put a thing here. Yeah. So literally they can pop up in this dungeon area underneath and then go upstairs and then boom, you're right there where the statue is and they can just steal shit and then go back down into the tunnel. Classic heist maneuver. And I'd like for the players to either, um, you know, they can make their way inside the town hall if they wish or they could, you know, lockpicking whatever means they have or they could follow that tunnel down in there. And what I'd like to do is leave it up to the players to determine how they want to um, try to stop this heist that's already in mid go which is my ideal situation is to have it be that the players get the note and they realize they're on the clock and they're like oh shit we got to go um you know try and stop these dwerger like right now there's yeah there's 11 um there's a lot of what ifs that could fuck up my plans what if the players decide to stay and stake out the ferry and they don't interact with the uh, statue at all. 
that would fuck up my plans a lot. You know, that's something they could technically do. They could just wait for the uh, Dwerger to return, which I, I may rule that they never return to the ferry. They, they just grab the things and then leave town, which would be kind of the idea that I was... In fact, I think I mentioned the note. They said, we take with the statue of tonight and then return to my father's fortress. So uh, I, don't, I don't think it would even have them return to the ferry. But how unsatisfying is that if the players decide to do that, they just remain on the ferry, nothing happens for hours and hours and hours, and they literally just miss the event, which is this event that I have planned. So it's one of those things where you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink. In this case, I want to lead them to thwarting this heist mid-heist would be the ultimate cool thing to have happen. And hopefully they'll pick up on that, but I can't necessarily force them to do that. Or what if they decide to, like, well, let's just rest and handle another day. Well, then it's already going to be have happened so i'll stress that as much as possible and hopefully they'll they'll pick up on that that they need to basically rush over here and and thwart things at the very least if they go to the town hall they will see you know the town hall has been locked everything's been shut down the curfews you know already happened and um the they if they search around they can hopefully find that uh that whole entrance which maybe i could have a little bit of investigation for that because where's the town hall right here um, probably wouldn't be any abandoned houses near the town hall, but maybe just a, almost just like a dark alley or something they could just find, um, would be the easiest thing. Like, you know, the, the Dwarger probably wouldn't want to like have this huge like tunnel network or anything. It'd be a very, and part of it is because they had to accelerate their plan. So like whatever, you know, fancy heist they had, they decided to, to bump it up because they figure the players are coming to like knock them on their ass so maybe they you know the players could just take a cursory look around this place um they will find that hole and can enter that way or they could just enter the town hall you know lock pick their way inside and make it in through there so assuming we make it all the way to that point then i've got an encounter planned and we can talk about that which is um a bunch of dwerger trying to essentially rip up and crush this statue in order to um make it inside sewers is an interesting thought um i haven't thought about that i guess yeah medieval city still had sewers i mean sewers is such a big trope in D D in general and i don't think we've ever used sewers before um yeah i think east haven might be big enough to have us maybe a sewers it's not a big city though it's still a, like a town um but surely they would have something like that could be that could work though it would probably be a case of like, you still have to you. I, I, I'm gonna tease the fact that they've got this hammer like payloader, you know, mechanized suit that you use to get in. So that'd be a fun way to, to tease like what the players are gonna eventually come across because they haven't fought the hammer yet. Um, but uh, I could see them using yeah, partially like they went down into these like sewer system near the area and then rushed like through a wall or something. It's literally not them just like digging down into the ground because that would be, you wouldn't really be able to make a good hole that way without being more structured. So sewers actually probably makes a lot more sense. I like that. Thank you, Jeremy. You could have a backup plan where the heist raises alarms and turns into a chase. That's true. Um, I would need to design that backup plan for sure. Uh, I don't know if there's a curfew. I don't know if these Dwerger would be caught necessarily very well. And I don't have a good alarm system, but... Um, yeah, I'd have to come up with... Uh, I don't think the chase rules in D&D are very satisfying. I'm sure somebody's come up with some decent chase rules. But that could be a thought if they end up catching them later. Maybe they, like, rest first. Um, my idea, which you can kind of see what I've got here on the GM layer. So, you know, I'm, I'm using the Town Hall Capers thing, which is a bunch of Dwergar trying to steal the Chardolin statue, which is part of the book. Um, I guess I could, I'm flipping through the actual book, but I could pull it up on Roll20 also. Uh, let's see, where are we? Chapter, we're still in chapter one, after session, which I think, I think this is actually going to be the final session of chapter one. Come to think of it, because even though we're not doing a, like, firm transition here, but what we are going to do is after this session, whenever they deal with this Dwerger, they're going to level up to five, and I don't think I'm going to throw any more of the Chapter 1 stuff at them at this point. I think Town Hall Capers is literally going to be the final one. Because I've already given them the quest for Karkaloke. They're going to get the quest for uh, Sunblight in this session. And then I've already given them the tool to find Lost Spire of Netherol. They just have to wait a couple more 
um, successful days to get there. So this is actually gonna be the final session for chapter one, and then we'll officially transition to chapter two. Although, if the players want to immediately go to uh, Sunblight, then that kind of you know reorganizes things a bit, but they certainly could. That's, you know, it's up to them where they wanna necessarily go immediately. How heavy is the statue? Um, well, here's what we're gonna do. So, first we're gonna look up Town Hall Capers. My plan is that the hammerer um, is going to be essentially carving up the statue, right? So they're not going to try to like literally lift the statue up. Initially, that's kind of what their plan was. They wanted to take as much of this statue as they possibly could, but they don't really give a shit because they're just smelting the shit, right? So they don't give a shit about getting the statue intact. They are concerned, the Dwerger are, about... Um, any kind of magical energy or um, supernatural effects that have to do with, um, excuse me, that have to do with um, tampering with the Shardlin, which is going to happen. So what I would like to do is have the players come in, and again, they can come in through the underground route that the Dwergar took, or they could come in through the main door. And if they come in through the main door, um, you could come in through this door here, or you could go through the secret door in the office and come through here, or you could go upstairs and actually come in above the Dwerger um, through here. So I would love it if the players really wanted to turn this into a you know, counter heist thing where they themselves are like sneaking in. Maybe they could even split the party and do all these cool shenanigans. I definitely want to support that. That would be a lot of fun. Um, and then we can play around with how many Dwerger we've got and how many are there. You know, Some of them would obviously be keeping watch and where are they going to keep watch on, and that's something we can discuss during uh, crafting right here. But my idea is the hammerer is literally um, in the middle of, like, carving this statue up in order to take um, pieces of it, basically. You know, big chunks that they can. Because it looks like he'd be capable of, you know, grabbing it and just, like, you know, chiseling it away and all that shit. Um, however, what's going to happen at the opportune moment, ideally in the middle of, like, the battle or something is that this partially destroyed statue that the Dwerger have already been carving into is going to release a living Bigby's hand, which is this bag boy. So the idea being, um, you know, Shardalyn has all these magical properties and it's supernatural and I'm kind of playing fast and loose with what that means. Mechanically, they can use certain weapons and effects, but if they miss it, you know, gives them a short-term madness temporarily. Um, but in this case, this giant uh, piece of Shardalyn is literally containing a um, like a sentient spell which exists in Aetherin. So this is me teasing like the final area where these things are more common and you'll run into these things. Instead, this is going to be essentially a monster that is going to be released from the statue, which I think is a great uh, trope and thing to use. Which, if you recall, I used a similar tactic in Tomb of Annihilation when we fought against the uh, the Red Wizards outside of the final dungeon. I had essentially almost a very similar situation where in the middle of the fight, this demon was released that immediately started attacking everybody. Obviously, I would prefer to try to attack the players because I think that would be more um, fun, but it wouldn't even be that bad if it came out and just crushed. It, it might even be more cinematically satisfying to come out, have this thing just come out and just fucking crush the shit out of one of the Dwerger. Maybe it's even one of the last Dwerger alive or something, and then the players have to then deal with this thing as a... Um, essentially a, a mini boss fight having already been in the middle of a battle. And it's a pretty cool monster. I mean, it's got an average of 50 hit points. AC of 20 is huge. It only attacks once, but it has a plus 10. Or it can trigger a dexterity save instead of doing an attack roll. It can force somebody else to make a dex save and just sit there and grapple and squeeze the shit out of them, which is... Uh, pretty satisfying and it can do a lot of damage so I think that would be a really cool it, yeah the stat block is nuts it's only a CR4 supposedly that it says but if you look at the stats it's got yeah the AC is solid the hit points are solid I mean it's got saving throws damage immunities all, all the condition immunities magic resistance and it can do either a shit ton of damage with its one attack or it can force a deck save and just be grappling somebody the whole time which is literally just it you know squeezing somebody um, although while it's doing that, I believe it just, let's see, what does it do? It just auto does that damage instead of doing its force fist from there on, which I'm not sure tactically which is the better move. Um, the cool thing about force fist is you can move to five feet and move with it. 
it just does a shit ton of damage basically but i think the grasping hand is actually a little cooler the fact that it just wraps around people versus this i mean the force fist is just them like punching them i think <laughs> and like moving them um but yeah I, that's my idea is to uh throw that at the party and that would probably um just be a, a side effect of the Dwerger releasing this statue. So I kind of one and and what it could do is if I you know a lot of this depends on how the the combat encounter works, but it could even lead to some of the Dwerger being able to escape um, unscathed because the party has to deal with this oh, Big B's hand. So I think that could be a cool thing. Um, so basically, I'm replacing the whole white lady thing, the ghost, because. None of that really fits into the campaign. I think it's kind of a distraction. Um, I don't have... Maybe if I had a character who had, you know, again, like a dead relative or, or, or a ghost in their backstory or more, you know, gothic in, in character development, then I could have included that in some way. But none of that really fits into what I'm trying to do here. I'm trying to keep the focus purely on um, Frost Maiden and that worship and stuff, which we kind of handled last session. And then this session, which is going to be basically dealing with the Dwerger Part 2. But in this case, instead of having to do an entire dungeon full of Dwerger... It's essentially just this one uh, combat encounter, but the interesting thing is the players have the chance to actually get the jump on the Dwerger, uh, depending on if they're smart about it. And in this case, it would be, you know, keep in mind, maybe they've got, you know, one or two of them are invisible and they're left as a scout somewhere, you know, that the, the place they came in at is going to be underneath through, you know, one of the... Uh, in fact, if I want to do the sewers, maybe instead of being a hole, it would be like a wall that they crushed down. So maybe I should, instead of doing a pit... I should just do like rubble so that they went down into the went down into the sewers and they just like broke apart a wall. That might make more sense. Let's see if I can do rubble. I I like the sewers idea more and more. There we go. I've used that rubble that one rubble picture since back when we did fucking Shadow Run. <laughs> that, that rubble picture has served me well. So much destruction. You can just kind of throw that. You know, here on the side, and that I think that looks fine. And that would be where, if the players wanted to follow the Dwarger's path, they could appear here. Um, this is where there's just supposed to be a bunch of guards, like a guard room here. So maybe I could throw like a fucking table or something. Let's see. That works. I do a round table, but long table could work. Have a good round table. Oh, there we go. That's a better one. That one comes with chairs. Now with chairs. Okay. Kind of a big table. We're gonna sh a little bit. Yeah, put that on the map layer. Okay. So they'll appear there, and then they can come out. See that this is kind of a jail, uh, literal dungeon area. And then maybe there's a Dwerger sitting on uh, on the top of the stairs that would be able to see them, so they'd have to be very clever about trying to make it past him. Um, my plan right now is to have three regular Dwergar, a Dwergar Hammerer, and then I believe it's... Is it Dearth? I keep fucking... Uh, mixing these guys up. Which one is, I think... Mildar is the one they did. Dearth, yeah, Dearth Sunblight, okay. So Dearth is a Mind Master. I'm using the Dark Haft picture because for some reason the Mind Master doesn't have a picture. And then the Hammerer. So that's five Dwerger. I think that's enough to cause the players to have a concern. Maybe I'll have one of them already enlarged, so he's like hacking away at the thing. Um, whereas the other two are kind of... And then the Hammerer is obviously going ape on it. Um, I guess the Hammerer is still medium stat block, aren't they? We haven't opened this one, dude. Yeah, because the Dwarves themselves are dwarves, so even their power suits would be not necessarily huge. Okay. Um, We can roll hit points for everybody. Let's see if this thing works. Oh, no, 10. That's not going to work. <laughs> what is that, the worst possible hit point roll? That's atrocious. My goodness, how do you even get that low on a Dwarger? How do you get 10 out of a, what is that? 4d8 plus 4, that's got to be like all 1s. <laughs> Alright, well we're going to ignore that. That's that's way too low. Okay, 30, that's, that's a little bit better. <laughs> you all saw it here, I'm cheating a little bit. I'm not going to have a 10 hit point Dwerger. 
Talk about runty. Give the hammer two rounds max. I mean, honestly, like every fight, every fight that's not a big boss fight, you should probably only plan on having two or three rounds. I mean, I was I was shocked that the uh, that fight we just had in last session lasted what three? I think it lasted three rounds, but my dude didn't get to go because he he um, suffered from uh, being stunned from massive damage. So I would have gotten literally three attacks off of that one animated armor that I did not expect. That I expected him to get one attack maybe. What's funny is you can tell um, there are times when I fudge HP and times when I don't. And the times when I fudge it is when I'm like, all right, I'm ready for this fight to end. The you know climax is already ebbed and now we're doing cleanup work. Versus when I don't, which is like at the front of a fight, whenever we're you know I haven't like gotten enough attacks off of my enemy or something, and somebody like drops somebody to one hit point. I'm like, all right, he looks really dead, but he's not dead yet. Those are the times I don't fudge it. Cause like I still want to get that damage. <laughs> all right, and then you. You need to be rolled because you are actually a boss named Dirth Dirthington. For you, 68 plus 12. So our rules is it's got to be higher than average for bosses. Or we could just use near max. That's also something we can do. Uh, 42 is probably good. He's higher than the other Dwarger at least. I also kind of... Um, he's got the same token stats as the Dark Haft, which, interestingly enough, has less AC on the other one. Earth Sunlight. It's creative crafting. Exactly. Exactly. But what's interesting about all these crafting streams is you can tell like how often I do that versus how often I let the dice fall where they may. And frankly, I, I think I, I'm probably more, um, whatever the opposite of cheating is, <laughs> more honest uh, than most DMs because in our campaigns, and all of you know this, I roll everything publicly, right? It's very few times do I keep things hidden. There's a few times I played with that in Tomb where I had a macro setup that at least hid the, the uh, modifiers, so it just said if somebody su um, succeeded or not. And even then, the players were like, I don't know about this. This doesn't look right. So um, hit points is really the only thing that I keep uh, hidden. And you and nine times out of ten, it's for the player's benefit. There's very, very few times where somebody would have demolished a creature and I cheat and say, oh, they're still around. Um, very, very few times. Versus I will absolutely cheat and give the play, especially if it's like a five-point differential. I'll be like, and I'm ready for the fight to end. I'll be like, all right, you can, you can end this here. I don't know why Roll20 did this, by the way. 3d6. Just put it here, Roll20. You don't have to fucking put it down there. Psychic damage. And as we recall, these uh, Mind Masters are pretty strong. And gave the players fits. Because, specifically, um, he's smart enough to target somebody like Frey, who's really strong, but not very... Uh, doesn't have the mental fortitude and causes her to attack somebody else. Uh, he could also use his recharge, which would be pretty fun because then he becomes very tiny. I think it just gives him better AC. Plus five bonus to his AC, yeah. He's 14, but while reduced, he's a 19. So it actually makes a lot of sense to do that. And funny enough, it actually makes his attack stronger. It increases his psychic damage. Becomes like the size of a chipmunk or something. <laughs> Which could also make for a really fun fight. And I love that it can use its mind mastery as part of its attack. In fact, I think I might have... I might have gimped... I'd have to look back at the video, and some of you may be able to point that out, but I might have gimped the mind master... Um, Nerfed, I guess would be the better word, um, during the Dwarger Outpost fight because he can use his Mind Mastery and his Dagger together. And I think at some point I stopped using his Mind Mastery against the players, even though he was around for a while because he was just so strong. And he's only CR2. But I do need to update the fact that he's got a 14 AC. But yeah, during it might be actually be worth it during the opening round, even though it sucks to spend an action not attacking because, again, we just talked about the fact that you only have so many friggin' actions with enemies. Um, but if he's reduced, that ups his AC by a lot, makes him really hard to target, and then actually he deals more damage with his 
dagger, but I'm not going to pull punches on this fight because the players haven't gone through a whole dungeon, which the advantage of that is you can throw a lot bigger of a fight at the players. They've, they've only done that one. I guess technically they did the B encounter, didn't they? I should actually look at their character sheets and see how they're doing. They did do the B encounter in Goodmead because they had rested before that, and then they left. They didn't get any encounters on the road because they managed to get through the fox without fighting. And then they fought that one little fight with the armor and the axes, which they didn't take, you know, but six damage on average each or something. And now they're going to deal with this fight. So I think they're still pretty good. But I know Chris was telling me, like, oh, we're just going to long rest after this fight. And I'm like, uh, I don't think you are. <laughs> I'm going to kind of throw this at you. All right, he's got plenty of spell slots. And nobody's hurting in terms of hit dice or anything like that. In fact, I don't think we've even short rested yet. Now, if they do short rest, that makes my job a lot easier. Um, because that makes sense why more time would have passed. But I don't see them necessarily having to short But they, they could. And Ray's hurting a little bit. Still has Oliver Rages left. So obviously, we'll be raging there. Uh, your monkey don't have those. Key points, half gone. Edmund, Edmund and Volrobin are the main ones to look at because they're the spellcasters. Still has all of his spells, so. I think everybody's doing just fine in terms of their own stats. Oh, interesting. We actually went through all of his spells. Huh. Where's going to kill Volrobin tomorrow night? <laughs> It'll be it'll be interesting. Like I said, if the players play their cards right, they could actually get a surprise round on the Dwerger, which would be huge. Given the action economy and all that, how that works in D&D, surprise is a huge factor, especially because you roll initiative. And a lot of times, and this happens both ways, it's, it's, it's benefited me and it's benefited the players. But if that one side rolls low initiative and the other side gets a surprise round, you uh, you effectively get two full rounds before the other side gets to go. And that is a huge momentum swing um, for whichever side gets screwed there. So this is a case where I don't think there's any way that Dwerger can surprise the players, but the options are if the players are really bumbling their way in here, then the Dwerger will get a heads up and it will at least prevent the players from getting a surprise round versus if they really play their cards right and be smart about it and try to like you know, do some reconnaissance and sneak around and stuff, then they could potentially get a surprise round against the Dwarger, which would be pretty huge. Um, but the idea is they're already, you know, smashing their way through the statue. And then once combat occurs, I'm just gonna have to play it by ear in terms of when is this going to make the most sense um, to trigger this thing emerging, ideally after like, you know, half the Dwarger have already been dealt with. And then it pops out um, basically as a surprise Rise round, I think. It gets really confusing when you try to enter um, a surprise round like that. I think the idea is, mechanically, I would probably allow it to emerge and have a surprise round, or I would try to hide its initiative and then have its initiative, whenever it gets to its initiative, then that would be its, like, surprise emerge coming out to do its thing. Um, assuming roll 20 lets me hide its initiative roll. We could roll hit points with this thing, too. Um, I may have to do... You know what? Let's hide its... Renaming rolls. It turn on its... I think it automatically whispers rolls if it's on the GM layer, though. Pretty sure that's a thing that happens. Uh, let's see. Points for you. Oh, shit. 65. Jesus. <laughs> so this is the real boss here. And, you know, I, I kind of wanted to throw this in here as a way to, to have it, because they've already fought a bunch of Dwerger, and he's just another Mind Master, and I don't want to use the, you know, big, sexy Dwerger Warlord stat blocks or anything, because they are going to be fighting one of those when they actually get to Sunblight. So I thought this would be a cool way. And also tease um, the fact that Aetherin and messing with Chardolin is going to be very dangerous. Now, why is this particular piece of Chardolin, like, where did it come from? Um, if the players want to follow up on that, I think I wrote somewhere that um, it was. Where did I write that down? Maybe I didn't write that down. I thought I had an idea about it. Um, the bunch of just fisher folk. I think I was going to keep the thing that it, it was a. They pulled it out of the lake before things froze over. 
Um, like they just excavated it and they didn't know what to do with it. A bunch of Fisher people decided to try to turn it in for a reward. And the speaker was like, well, I don't really, I guess we could display it in the town hall. I don't really have any use for this or anything. He's a very pragmatic person. Um, and then we could argue that Ravison knows about it and she wants to keep it here. Um, because she wants to then stockpile uh, Chardolin because she knows it's very dangerous. But maybe she's played it off as this being, I don't, I don't know, did they convince people it's upset? Because you don't want people to just go by and start jack with this thing, though, if it's actually dangerous. Maybe there's like a velvet rope around it or something. <laughs> How much would Ra Ravison should be able to recognize this as Chardolin um, because she would feel the aversion that the Frostmaiden has towards this stuff. Maybe that would be part of her concern. Maybe that's what kind of led to the concern buildup that she has. Is like, oh shit, people are starting to find this material that my goddess like fears. So I need to start like stockpiling it and making sure it's not in the wrong hands. But didn't necessarily think she needed to put like security around this giant statue because who's gonna fuck with a giant statue? Well, the Dwerger, who are all about you know mining and constructing things, would um, apparently try to sneak in here and break this thing up to try to steal it, which then unleashes this. Uh, Horrible monster. No, nobody has the alert feat, funny enough. This is like the first campaign, I think. Which has that very, very powerful the uh, feat. I do think that's true. If it if it's on the if it's on the GM layer, it I think it hides initiative automatically. The problem is, and I think I just clicked it off, is that it will I think it might say like um, you know, in the name like what something is when they roll, and I need to make sure that's hidden. Velvet rope is the ultimate deterrent. <laughs> Um, yes, and I will probably plan on using uh, the Mind Master on Frey, because again, the Dwerger should be smart enough to target, like, the biggest, um, threatening melee person and use that on them. So, I think that's the current setup that I've got. Yeah, kind of, with the art, with the art being put in secret government storage, except it's not quite, like, yeah, no, I'll, I'll, that's a great ending, it's such a fun thing to do, it's like a mundane, like, just, you know, Box it up and put it just in a fucking shelving <laughs> rows and rows and rows of, uh, that's a great, that's one of the best, probably one of the most famous, like, camera crane, like, shots, too, because it pulls back and it's just this huge, like, fucking Amazon-sized warehouse of crates that are just completely nondescript and all look the same, hiding in plain sight, basically. Um, this is not quite that, because this is still a public area that people, like, walk through, so it's a little sillier that the statue's just kind of chilling here. Um, but, yeah, the, the velvet rope keeps all away. <laughs> I don't know if I have more information about the statue itself somewhere. Is that just be under T6, I guess? The Dwarga Thieves. Dwarga carries one sack. They can hold up to 25, 20-pound fragments of Chardolin. Yeah, so that, and that's written in the book, too. The characters intervention, the Dwarger used their weapons to shatter the Shardolin figurehead at Area T6. The guards in Area T17 interrupt the Dwarger, but are no match for them. Oh, that's true. I could have them have a bunch of dead guards. That would be kind of interesting. To lend a sense of urgency to this event, we could throw some uh, dead bodies in here. Um, let's see. Bodies are chilling down here in the guards in the dungeon and maybe throw some uh just where the guards chill maybe what the hell body part i need to search body there we go <laughs> all kinds of bodies uh there we go some bodies down here make it more of a desperation now we went from fun heist to like oh shit <laughs> I guess it's like people in blue jeans and boots. Street clothes. <sighs> oh, that's too big of a body. <laughs> Scale them properly. There we go. Not tough because you always look at tokens and like how big are people actually <laughs> versus the tokens we always use. Uh, 
Looking with my environmental storytelling. We're in the middle of playing cards. Alert is yeah, alert is just really powerful. Alright, so the players, um, I mean, they may miss this entirely, but if they, if they choose to investigate it all, then they will find the bodies of those guards there. The Dwerger, as, as written in the book, the guards were no match for the Dwerger. I don't know about the theft, still worried about the guards, so find the thieves. Okay, so the weird thing is, as written in the book, they actually... don't really have a chance of interrupting the Dwerger in the middle of it, which is dumb, because that's obviously the most, I think, fun thing to do in the story. It does say after filling their sacks, the Dwerger exit the town hall and travel to their hidden fortress in the mountains. So they, they don't go back to the ferry. They immediately go to Sunblight. Which is why, so at the ferry, I want to give them the hint that, okay, now, like, if you want to stop this heist, you got to go now. to pay 50 gold for each stolen fragment that is returned to him. Demonic magic to use the crystals. Obviously, it's not quite demonic magic I'm using. It's just magic in general. Because determined to find the stolen shot, I'm going to question East Haven's townsfolk to see if anyone saw suspicious activity on the night of the robbery. So you could turn it into an after-the-fact investigation. Making a charisma investigation check, interestingly enough, not an intelligence investigation. That's cool. That's, yeah, you're literally like interrogating people. Keep playing Fairman. He spends most of the time going to Tamarindale Wet Trout. You know, he doesn't know anything, but he can give them rumors. Great. What great storytelling. Once the characters are fourth level, the adventure steers them toward the Dorger Fortress in Chapter 3. The adventure steers them. Okay, great. Where do the players go next? Well, that's the big thing. Um, so obviously with this session, I'm basically only planning this heist thing that the players can deal with. And then, you know, getting that information from um, the uh, fairy. And I think this will take up um, hopefully the rest of the session. And then, you know, they can choose to interrogate um, any Dwergar. Well, they will get, you know, similar, because we actually interrogate a lot of Dwergar in uh, the Dwergar outpost, but they can get the same kind of information, except now that, now the cool thing is it'll be the payoff between the Dwerger and no kind of the characters. Like, they've gotten um, the descriptions and stuff, which I think is always a cool thing. Um, and video games do this well, too, which is building up the um, the player's reputation. And uh, that's a really cool effect you can do, especially, you know, in Ten Towns, obviously the players are becoming more well-known, and, you know, it's cool when they're like, oh, Marshalls. Um, but if the enemies recognize the players, I think that gets really satisfying, too. And this is obviously an entire enemy faction. So that would be a case of like, oh, shit, it's them. You know, it's the and maybe they call them the marshals or not. I don't know if the Dwerger would care to identify them as such. But the, the Dwerger, based on the descriptions that Nildar have given, has, has given them, would recognize um, the threat that they're up against for sure. Um, and maybe they feel like they can take them or not. I don't I don't know. But uh, that will be. <laughs> we'll see. Let's Still looking up T6. Alright, Shardolin, figurehead. Little burning lanterns cast a gentle glow upon a tall black statue. Oh, there's light in here. Okay, can put some lanterns. It's good to actually read the descriptions now and then. Lantern. Searching. Uh, actually, I think we can... Oh, no, we can leave that token line. That's fine. Let's put it there. Let's give you some dynamic lighting. How much does a lantern give? 40-20, I think. I have to light that shit up pretty well. Put that on the... Map layer. And very carefully move it around. Put one over here. Damn it. 
Damn it. There we go. That should be enough. Be light. Electrify the velvet rope. <laughs> the real deterrent. Action electric current running through that rope. Although one could easily mistake it for a statue, the object like the figurehead of a ship and is carved in the likeness of a winged demon. I don't know if I'm going to include that canonically. Um, because what I would like to do is say that this was... Why was this part of a ship? What I'd like to do is this, this is a piece of Shardlin that fell off of Aetherin when it crashed. And happened just like the Lost Spire. The Lost Spire is literally a part of the city that crashed and fell upside down and buried itself into the snow. Um, and I'd like to tease the fact that all the Shardlin was from Aetherin. So I may need to retcon this a little bit. What does it look like on the map? I know I can't use the handout because the handout um, straight up has like a woman fucking lashed to it. Which is supposed to be like... I don't, I don't know. This is weird as shit. It's supposed to be like the white, the ghost of the white lady, and she's, I guess, um, a wooden figure or something, even though it all looks very weird and creepy. Oh, it actually has the lanterns on the pillars. That might be more cool looking. The lanterns on the pillars. I like that. Copy and paste. Unfortunately, I can't really use that art. Um, I, I, so it doesn't need to be a demon. Figure out depicts Ertru, a Ballard demon that terrorized Icewind Dale over a century ago. Yeah, why? A band of adventurers used a telekinesis spell to raise the figurehead from the depths of Black Thinister a few months ago and hauled it to East Haven, hoping for reward. Which that is suspect because the as written in the book everything has been frozen for like two years so how the fuck did they even get to the bottom of the lake so in my campaign it, the rhyme's only been lasting for like six months or so out of the public away from the public eye i guess this is not actually a place that's uh normally but his office is right here isn't this people normally like walk through this area right <laughs> What's in T7 and T8? Chair storage, records rooms. Okay. This is more of an administrative building, but still, there'll be people walking through here. T10 is a small claims court. It's a, it's the, what do you call it? It's the, yeah, it's the town hall. It's the administrative center. I should throw some objects in some of these rooms also, like T2, I mentioned, was a judgment day. Uh, was bookshelves and chairs and stuff in case the players want to walk through and I can make it a little more interesting. Why that stick to the walls? Bookshelves. Map layer, and then we'll just do some chairs, lounge chairs, or such. One of the best movies of all time. You know, what was not a bad movie. It was the last Terminator movie they did? The one where they brought back Linda Hamilton. That was not bad, considering that franchise had some stinkers. Uh, I thought that movie was actually pretty cool. But I also just kind of like those movies. <laughs> I like they just found another like writing excuse to put in Arnold Schwarzenegger for the millionth time. Like, except he's actually like an old man Terminator, which I find fucking hysterical.
literally probably one of my favorite movies of all time. Um, what a blank ass table. There we go. That's probably good enough. Uh, I don't see them exploring a whole lot of other rooms. I mean, if they this is just if they make it through the front door um, and they go to the side instead of going upstairs and then they can listen, realize their Dwarger in there and if they want to, they can bust open the door and start fighting in which case they could get a surprise round. There'll be a Dwarger right here by the door. Um, I don't know if I don't have the Dwarger. I don't want to have the Dwarger covering every single... Like, I want to give the players a chance to stealth. The best thing to do would be if they decide to go upstairs... Um, maybe there's not anybody watching necessarily upstairs. That could be interesting. Or I could put the mind master upstairs, like looking down and supervising everything just to put him out of the way. That could be interesting. Ace. Actually be on a different map here. I don't understand why they just drew the maps with empty rooms. I mean, I'm with you, but on the other hand, I'm just I'm just fucking glad we got actual like full color battle maps this time because there have been and if you've seen my Roll20 reviews, you know I rage about this, but there there was what Dragon Heist and Ghosts of Saltmarsh, um, you know, so many of the more recent ones they've done had just bullshit and Waterdeep Dragon Dungeon of the Mad Mage, which is just all dungeons, just had that like black and white or sepia tone, like graph paper look, which is obviously fine for, um, not fine, but it's what people do for playing physical D&D. But I love my maps, and especially on a VTT like Roll20, like it, it really means a lot to have these cool little maps to go through, and my players are all, you know, we've all grown accustomed to bearing visual about these things in terms of I can describe a room narratively, but also you're going to see things happen like literally on the screen. And, you know, a lot of us come from video game backgrounds versus D&D backgrounds. We're just kind of used to seeing stuff in general. So uh, if it's like this, I can work with this because I can take the map and then I can just add little assets to it. And that's fine. It doesn't take a whole lot of time. And it may be even better because I can choose to include things or not include things versus the worst case scenario. Well, the very worst is I have no maps whatsoever. And then the next worst one is I have just a really bullshit map I don't even want to use, which is just like a skeletal drawing of a map. So not necessarily ideal. I will say in the most recent one, which I just put this review up um, yesterday, I think, which was Wilds Beyond the Witchlight, they did go back to a really good map style that I love, and it looks great. You know, it looks like Tomb. It's got all the detail and stuff in the dungeons. The only bummer about that campaign is it's a much shorter campaign. Uh, it only goes up to level 8, and there's only like four dungeons in an entire campaign. There's only like four maps. Um, but they're very big dungeons. They're all like the the three of them, I'm not, I'm not going to spoil things, but like three of them are very much Wave Echo Cave and the other one is like um, huge. It's like a 50 plus mega dungeon for the finale. So uh, the quantity is not there, but the quality is very good. I'll say that. Hopefully I didn't spoil too much about Wild Beyond the Witchlight. Um... When you rant about crappy maps, I put my fist in the air. Yeah, I'm with And, you know, I've had a lot of people disagree, too. A lot of people like those basic maps, and um, I'm certainly willing to hear that point of view as well. But mine is pretty much set in stone at this point about I prefer for really good maps. And, and a lot of the times that will dictate if I'm going to play a campaign or not. You know, it's a big turnoff if I review something, even if I find the story really cool and the characters neat and the setting interesting. If the maps aren't there, then that's just a, you know, it just kills it. It kills my enthusiasm to run it. So, and that can be the opposite effect where if something's only okay in a lot of ways, um, like rhyme in a lot of cases, but it has these maps and it has a lot of cool, you know, different dungeons and situations, then I can work with that. I can be like, all right, I can do the work to put the, to put the story together, to make, to tie the different connections and make things interesting and kind of expand on stuff. But I'm still not spending the entire time having to actually put all these freaking maps together, although I'd end up totally doing that for the meat hall, but that's just because I gotta bug up my butt about putting together an interesting little story there. <laughs> um so yeah, I think that'll be the case for Oh interesting. There's a 
Sorry, I just read something. You can actually find the in the town library. You can find is on spellbook. Because that's right. In the in the story, it was the real design that gets captured, so you'd get his spellbook. So that's not gonna be the case here. Um, I haven't decided on loot, by the way. Any kind of loot the party can grab. If they wanted to steal from uh, this place, I might need to write down some areas. I don't think most of these areas don't have uh, treasure, but if the party wanted to kind of be... Because that's kind of a video game thing, right? You end up going on a mission, even if it's like a place that you would normally steal from. You just see containers. I mean, I kind of this is my Pathfinder game I'm playing right now. And you just loot them, and you just don't even think about the consequences. Unless you're playing a game like Skyrim specifically that, that labels things as like, hey, you're stealing it if you take this, then I'm just fucking taking everything. So this could be a case where I could include some, you know, if they want to break into like a library and a scroll or something to take it. And then you could just have plausible deniability and say, well, I guess the Dwerger like looted some shit. I don't know. <laughs> like, don't blame me. Uh, never hire your players to protect your town or your business or your place of interest or your, your home because they will absolutely steal everything. And that is what player characters do. <laughs> So uh, I'll need to include a little bit of loot they can and, and probably include something on the Dwerger, like maybe some gems or Ross Shardlin for Edmund because he can work with that. Um, he can, in fact, take the Ross Shardlin that's included here and, and, and use that as well. So I'll probably include that as loot um, because I did. I want to play with the fact that he can specifically manipulate and, and work with Shardlin to make different magic items. I included that several sessions ago. So those will be the kind of loot that they'll be able to get. But otherwise, after this heist, they'll be able to... Um, finally long rest again and level up officially to five and basically put an entire ribbon on chapter one which made it to session 23 chapter one of and there's a lot of content right that's something i really liked about rhyme is they had so much content in chapter one and chapter two that i as the dm can really pick and choose okay which ones do i really like which ones advance the story which ones are just fun and then concentrate on those and each one of those took anywhere between you know two and five sessions really you could almost include the fact that I included Cackling Chasm. I just redesigned it as a different kind of Knoll Cave uh, in in Chapter 1 as well. So uh, I, I really feel pretty satisfied about all that. And that'll be a, a, probably a fun Frostside chat. And we can just talk about a lot of Chapter 1 because that's kind of what's going to be ending here. Um, even though Act 2 doesn't really start until um, I think the destruction of Ten Towns via Chapter 4, which is kind of weird. Basically... Chapter 2 is just a whole bunch of more side shit and and uh, extra things. Some of it I'm tying to the main story, like uh, like Lost Spire of Netheril, and others are just going to be fun side tasks, like Karkalok is just going to be a fun side task that I think is an enjoyable place. Um, Dark Duchess and It Ascendant, and Ascendant, of course, will tie into one of my character stories. Dark Duchess I could just have as an encounter, or maybe somebody, they hear something about, hey, there's a dragon thing out there somewhere you should check out. I want to make Revels End more of an important area they have to go to in Act 2 because I want to play up all the Brotherhood stuff. Um, but yeah, we're definitely going to be running Sunblight um, and then Destruction's Light. And it's really going to be up to the players in terms of the order in which they do all the things, which is how I can help plan and help give the players more agency over the story itself. Um, obviously, I have to limit how many things I can plan and put together and prepare. But from there, they can choose. And really, after East Haven, they're going to be able to choose between uh, Sunblight and Corkaloak, they're going to want to return to Bryn Chander in general just to get the uh, the vehicles that I've got ready for them. But if they if they want to go immediately to Sunblight and fall up the Dwarger, they can totally do that, and then that would trigger Destruction's Light unbeknownst to them, um, which would then technically trigger Act 2. So, in a way, Corkaloak could be in Act 1 or Act 2. It kind of depends, and it, it doesn't really matter because it's just tied to the players in terms of how uh, they decide in what order they want to do things. They could trigger Lost Spire pretty quickly and end up going up there to follow up on stuff. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm pretty much playing fast and loose with a lot of the ordering while still having some important gates. I still, there's a lot of important story stuff I still haven't quite nailed down yet for Act 2, which is namely like, how do they get the location for the Island of Solstice and Grim Scala? What do they need to get there? You know, how do I follow up on what Ness Lantamir's been doing? And, um... You know, what? Uh, the fact that she's maybe breaking out Valish Gaunt from prison and all that. Because the Dwergar plot is such the, like, purely Act 1 thing, and then we actually complete it, and then we get into the Act 2 stuff. I like putting Valen in Sunblight, for example, so they can follow up with her, and she's the more forthcoming, like, okay, I want to ally with these players and tell them even more information, even though I was surprised by how forthcoming they were with Avarice. <laughs> um, so all of that is yet to come, but um, after this session, we will be 
leveling up to five and beginning all the cool Act 2 stuff. So, uh... That will bring an end to this session of Crafting Icewind Dale. Thank you all for joining me for the stream. If you enjoy the content, please check out patreon.com slash roguewatson. Shoutouts to my platinum patrons. Joe, Will, Tiny Dancer, Christopher, Thomas, Captain Mike, Adam, Stan, Nathan, Alex, Cam, William, and I'm Loud. And gold patrons, RPG Paper Crafts, Pretty Boy, and Yuma, Marcus, Dead Lizard Lounge, Sam, Ross, Lumpy Spuds, Drome, Sklenia, Nick, Farty McButterpants, Blood Angel, Bronus, Baboon, Baboon, Nathan, Basica Tortoise, and James. Thank you all very much for your support, and I will see you tomorrow for D&D.